Hello, and welcome to Pause, Stop and Think. On today's show, counselor Bob Nelson helps us through virtual learning and this year's election. Let's get the show rolling. So I'm here with Mr. Bob Nelson, counselor at KHSA. We're here to talk about virtual learning, the stresses of virtual learning, and how to help ourselves cope with what's going on in today's world. Mr. Nelson, uh, virtual learning and life today is very stressful for kids, families, and teachers. Kids are isolated from classmates, playmates, and friends. That can be a type of emotional or physical outlet for them. Parents working from home now balance home and school in the same room on most occasions. Teachers not only now face one learning environment, but now as many as 30 plus learning environments. What can stress lead to for students? There's a lot of things that it can lead to. But when you think about it, stress can lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety. It can actually impact directly on your health. A lot of people that are feeling stress, they can be overtired, coupled with loss of sleep. Not a good combination to feel overtired because of being stressed. On top of that, you can't sleep. You're more susceptible to illness when you feel stress. Uh, there's all sorts of medical things that can happen, but stress and anxiety, who wants to live with stress and anxiety? These are all, uh, oh, and other things. If you're stressed, you're probably not focusing as well, whether it's in school or on the job, you tend to make mistakes. Uh, you don't get as much work done, even if you feel like you're working harder. So it's uh, stress can really create issues for people. And the more stress you have, the more issues it can create, especially if it's prolonged stress. A thing to remember, though, and I think this is pretty important, is stress is really, it, it's, it communicates to our body in a way that makes us realize we have to get ready to do something. So it's actually kind of a natural thing. If something is causing you stress, it's because there's something that you have to do and get done. And that, you know, it's just part of our biology. I'm sure it goes all the way back to, you know, before we even had societies when uh, people were just nomads uh, hunting and gathering. So when you think about it, while too much stress, especially prolonged stress, is not a good thing, we need to deal with it. It's actually a, a healthy thing if we can manage the stress because it helps us to get things done that we need to get done or things that are important to us in life. So it's, a, it's kind of a stress isn't a bad thing until it becomes too much. And then you have to take care of it. And that's a great point. And I, I think one of the things that you, that you definitely noted was stress can lead to people feeling trapped or alone. As noted, there's an article in the New York Times from October there, uh, there's evidence of higher suicide and mental health outreach to date. Since the start of the pandemic, more people are reaching out to suicide hotlines and mental health hotlines. How do you think students who feel overworked should communicate with teachers and staff about their stress? First, they need to understand that that kind of stress, they do need to take care of because if they're feeling stressed, they're probably not feeling good about their work in school or other aspects in their life that is being caused by a highly unusual environment. 
Uh, I can tell you that in my lifetime, I've never experienced a pandemic. Until recently, I was never in an area where there was rioting and looting. I can tell you that, you know, what's happening politically now, even though I went through the 60s and the 60s were a tough time politically, there's there are differences now politically that we didn't have before. To get back to really answering the question, there's a lot of things that you can do. The first thing you want to do is understand there's a lot of ways for you to teach to communicate with teachers. All students have access to our teachers through virtual school. That wonderful little uh, webpage Dr. Aaron put together for our school. And there's also teachers meetings that are available. You can have them between nine and 10 in the morning. You can have them from one to four in the afternoon. These are wonderful times to connect with some of the people that can actually help you to reduce stress. But if some of your stress uh, is coming directly from having to be in cyber or virtual school, and that's tough. You also can communicate by email. If you don't know your teacher's email addresses, you can find them on the school website, uh, right on the internet, under staff. You click on staff, you actually get to see a picture of your teacher and a little bit of information on the teacher in their email address. Some teachers are also available by telephone. One thing to remember though, and I think this is true of any kind of communication that is important to you, whether it be with a friend, a parent, an employer, a teacher, anybody that you need to communicate something important to, you need to be as respectful as possible. You've probably heard the expression, uh, you attract more uh, bees with honey than with dirt or whatever. Well, such is the same in communication. Positive, uh, respectful communication is usually more productive, if not in the short run, certainly in the long run. So in our situation, if you're a student and you want to communicate about what's going on in class or with your work or the website or whatever, the first thing I would do is uh, inform the teacher that uh, you would like to speak with them. And because there's different ways to connect, you should ask them, I think, what is the best way for me to have a conversation with you? And the teacher may say, well, here, call this number or uh, come into my office at 3.15. I'll be free and waiting for you. That sets up a positive opportunity for you to make your connection with the teacher. Another thing I do recommend, especially if it's important to you, is that you actually take a few minutes to write down on a piece of paper or type it up on your computer, really what it is that you'd like to say. Because sometimes when you're trying to say something that's important to somebody, not to overuse a stress word, but you might feel a little stress or anxiety over it, and you might not think it through as well as when you're sitting by yourself thinking about it. So if you write some notes about the topics or the items you want to get across in the conversation. That helps. I've been doing that since as long as I can remember. And as people can tell, that's been a long time. And I do find it very helpful. Always be sure also that good communication is two ways. It's between two people. So you also want to be careful that you're not just doing all the talking. You want to be sure you give your teacher or the other person a chance to respond because that helps them to clarify what it is you're saying which means you have a more effective communication. 
Also, Mr. Pincerone said a few minutes ago uh, in the introduction about how difficult virtual school is for everyone. So, I mean, it is true. Communication, because it's virtual, is not nearly as effective as when you're sitting there talking to someone face-to-face -face or standing there talking face-to-face. -face. So sometimes that means that you need to take a little more time being sure you're clear about everything you're saying and you do hear what the other person is saying. There have been studies that claim that between 60 and 80% of all communication is not verbal. It's facial expression, it's how you're holding your body or tipping your head or you know your eyes uh, furrowing down because you're suddenly feeling uh, not too happy about what's being said. So just keep that in mind when you're having these conversations to set it up so you actually have enough time to get closure on the conversation and you know that what you said has been received and you've gotten an answer that you understand. That's some great advice and you're right, not not having that facial recognition or facial reading when so, in, a, in, a, in a situation sometimes if you're just talking to a circle or a, or a profile and not seeing the agitation or the, the tears in somebody's eyes, you, if you're missing that virtually and you can definitely miss a, a, an important sign or miss what's going on deep inside a person. One of the questions one of our students have asked, our seniors, there is a large percentage of seniors that have jobs outside of school and are working to attend virtual school. What are some ways you suggest those students can deal with the stress of having a job outside of school and trying to balance school? Well, I hear that question two ways. I hear it as kind of a general question for people and all students, but I also hear the seniors part. And I'm going to put on my uh, school counselor hat and first and say, if you're a senior and you are juggling a job and everything you need to do as a senior, in addition to your classes and being in virtual school, which is a new take, sometimes the struggle to get a few dollars in your pocket is not worth what the result is going to be. And you need to uh, think about that very seriously, because we have had students who were so happy about having a job and getting money in their pocket, you know, for their, you know, taking their boyfriend or girlfriend to the movie or buying pizza or, or whatever. In some cases, we're seeing a lot more of this now, uh, helping out the families because of the pandemic and uh, people losing their jobs, you know, family members, you know, helping out, which is a wonderful thing. You have to remember, life is long. It's a lot longer than you think. When I was 17, 18 years old, I could only think a few years really in advance with any clarity. And after that, it was just, it was just gray. I really didn't know what was coming along. But life ends up being long. And what you don't want to do, what you don't want to do is think about today to the exclusion of tomorrow. Because if you do that, uh, if you don't get your high school diploma and you don't continue your education after that, that will set in a pattern of making less money and having less opportunity than you could have and you should have. And that means you could end up having a long, long life where you don't have enough money to really support yourself in the manner you would like. That impacts on how you spend your time. It impacts on how healthy you are, because if you can't eat uh, nutritionally and you can't afford medicine and doctor's visits, you're not going to be as healthy. It, it means you're not going to be as successful as you could or should be. And just for a couple of years, having a few extra bucks in your pocket. So when you think about it, 
Every person uh, who's in high school now is probably going to have more than 40 years of a work life in front of them because that's how long people work. You don't want to spend 40 more years worrying about where the next buck is going to come from. And, and it's very serious about that because I think most people know that our economy has ups and downs. And if you're having an up, everything is fine. A lot of people are working. But when it goes down, the people with the least education are the people that are let go first. So it's not just a matter of not having a decent paycheck. It's also a matter of having a life where you don't have as much employment. So be very thoughtful about how you spend your senior year. You do not want to give up a high school diploma and the chance to have higher education after that for a few bucks this year. Now, let me answer it uh, in a different way. Again, I talked a little bit about how stress is really normal and some stress is probably good. In these times, it is so important to pay, stay connected with family and friends. An example of that is our, in our school, I think, is the one-on-one -on -one contacts that all the advisors are having every couple of weeks. It's just, you know, five or 10 minutes to check in, see how people are doing and connections, social connections. We are a social animal. We get through life by our connections with other people. Uh, on one level or another, I used an expression a few minutes ago, but here's another expression. No person is an island. You don't really get through life by yourself. Uh, there are always people that are there with you and you connect. Don't lose those connections during this time. It's not a fun time not connecting with people. Uh, you really also need to focus on staying well. That means eating well, eating healthy, eating enough, getting daily exercise, making sure you get plenty of sleep. I do know from working at our school, but also know that many teenagers and many adults skip on sleep. All the medical research, all the medical research says you need, and believe it or not, you had in high school uh, need more sleep than younger people and also adults until you get all the way up to senior citizen because you have so many things changing in you physically and mentally and emotionally. It's, a, it's an exhausting time biologically for you. Don't skip on sleep because that makes it more difficult for you to stay well. You're more prone to uh, getting disease and illness. But again, as I said a few minutes before, you're also less likely to be able to focus on the things you need to get done. And it's more difficult for you to get the important things done that take higher level thinking and physical activity. And another thing you really need to do is you need to take time every day to chill out, do something you enjoy. I started playing guitar when I was in my early 20s. I've been playing guitar more or less for the last 40 years, uh, actually more than 40 years at this point. I have gone for a couple years at a time where I, I just didn't have time to play guitar at all. But I was doing other things that I was having a lot of fun with, like taking care of my kids and that sort of thing. That was uh, one of the greatest, greatest times of my life. But to me, playing guitar, even if it's for 10 minutes or a half an hour a night, I am unwinding. I'm relaxing. It's just, I'm just chilling out. I'm just feeling good. And you, everybody needs to do that. Whether you're listening to music or you're talking to friends or you're telling jokes, everybody needs time every day to unwind. It's just part of who we are. That's great advice because I... I agree. The, the brain needs a time to just not do what it's doing all day long. Having that, like you're saying, enjoyment break of just, you know, of getting some happiness or, or rest or just your, your body's way of saying, all right, 
I got to stop doing this for a minute. Give me something else to do so I can re-energize or refocus or just build back up the energy that I need to complete the task that we started. Sleep does that for you also. Sleep lets your mind take a rest. You're not just resting your body. You're also resting your mind. It's true. It's, uh, I, they always say the sleep is, your, is the reset button <laughs> for, yeah. your, for your body. It's, it's whenever you're sleepy, it, it really is your body telling you, stop. Mm-hmm. I, need to, I need to reset. I want to go back to something you were said earlier about being in this virtual situation uh, and trying to communicate with, with students virtually. How can counselors help students de-stress virtually? Like what's, what's a method that, that is working for you in the virtual world that you feel is, is helping other students? When I answer this question, I'm going to broaden my understanding of the question a little bit. Virtual to me really means you're still having to do the same stuff. You may be just doing it a little bit differently. And so whether you're talking about now we're having a pandemic, now we're in virtual school, now we had uh, you know this horrible thing happen in Philadelphia last week, and this week, you know, the election is such a stressful time for so many people, no matter what side is your side, it's a stressful time. You know, how you deal, how counselors deal with those things are pretty much the same. Uh, so how can counselors help students? Well, counselors help students by helping them to identify cause or causes of uh, some of the stress you're experiencing and some of the challenges Uh, that you may be having in life. You know, sometimes, even though the stuff is happening to you, it's so overwhelming. You can't can't figure out what it is that's really the problem. And you end up talking about a lot of the symptoms rather than why am I having the symptoms? You know, we can be helpful in helping a a person, a student, sort out some of that stuff. And that process alone can help to reduce stress. Another thing I think counselors do pretty well is help the person to change what's unhelpful thinking patterns. I'll just give you a quick ex- quick example. Uh, one of the things that causes us stress or anxiety or depression when something is happening or has happened to us that we think should not be happening or should have happened. But you can't do anything about it because shoulds are just things that happen. It's how we relate to the should and what we say about it we can do something about that. So I'm going to give you a, a funny example that tells you uh, a little bit, something kind of personal about me. It's not uh, that big of a thing, but I grew up in upstate New York. We didn't have traffic jams in upstate New York. You had to be careful about hitting deer, but I grew up, there were never any traffic jams. In my entire township, which is a big area, it was 15 miles across and about 12 miles long. There were two traffic lights and one was a blinking traffic light. It was a quiet area. Every day I get up, I drive to Fairmount Park, drive through Fairmount Park, pick up the Schuylkill Expressway and then the Vine Street Expressway and onto 95, onto Aramingo Avenue and New York Street to work. I cannot tell you how many times that people are passing me on the shoulder passing me on a double yellow line. When I'm stopped at a stoplight, they not not just drive through the stoplight, they're behind me. They drive around me to drive through the stoplight because they just think, hey, I can do whatever I want because I'm late for work or I want to get to work 10 minutes earlier or something. And when I started experiencing that, I kept saying to myself, I can't stand this. People shouldn't be doing that. It's against the law. They're putting other people in danger. They shouldn't be doing that. And I got 
I don't want to say I got crazy about it because I never allowed myself to. But it was really upsetting to me. When it comes down to it, what difference does it make to me? I can't change what those people are doing. And there's no law uh, about a lot of the things they're doing. Or if there is a law, there's no one that's going to do anything about it because there's not enough police officers. So if I keep telling myself they shouldn't be doing that, this anxiety and angst is going to be happening all the time in me. So people sometimes think, uh, well, if you're thinking something irrational and you're putting all your cookies in that irrational basket, you're never going to get over. You're just going to be angry and upset all the time. You know, really what it's saying is you're not you're not making good choices about how you're assigning your feelings. So we help, like in that situation, I figured out this isn't good for me. This is making me like uh, an into a person I don't want to be, you know, wanting to yell at people and all that. So I had to change my thinking from people shouldn't be doing that to, well, people are doing it and just accept it and moving it along because there's nothing I can do about it, really. I'm not going to get out and start yelling at people. They might take out a baseball bat and readjust uh, all that curly hair on top of my head. And I don't want that to happen, trying to protect <laughs> 13 hairs. Uh, so I think we're pretty helpful in helping to identify the shoulds, the irrational ideas that people can't do anything about and help them accept them so they can behave in a different way where you know they feel better adjustment and less stress. We also help with specific strategies, like there's a number of uh, relaxation techniques uh, we can uh, teach students that can help uh, in situations which makes them anxious. We also can help students access quality outside resources uh, if it's uh, something that uh, they're struggling with and we don't have the time or resource in terms of time to really help the person with, or it's not something we specialize in. So those are like specific things I think we can help students with uh, in terms of dealing with some of the, the initial question was the stress about being in a virtual pandemically caused school situation. All those things can help to reduce stress. Question of accepting the situation, which is a process. And once you accept it, then you can, you're in a position where you can put together steps, do things differently so you've reduced stress. So we're able uh, to use those kinds of approaches, I think, uh, to help in those kinds of situations. But they really do help in all the situations I referenced initially when you first asked the question. Well, that, that's amazing. And the counselors in our school are, are an amazing asset for, for the teacher, for, for the students, for the teachers, for, for all of us. You're, you guys are always there for us to have a conversation and to really open up to. And, and that's important. And we need people like you that have all these resources and ideas and thoughts and processes that maybe as educational people, we just kind of look at the classroom and, and the lesson and, and the student. Whereas you're taking the student and the outside world and all that's involved in that world and what's affecting them. And that's, that's key. And counselors are, are, are an important asset to all schools. One of the common threads that I'm hearing, at least in our conversation and also reading, is that communication is key. Students have counselors in their school. Um, and one of the things you had brought up about resources, what are, what are some in-house or outside resources people can use to de-stress? De I guess in school, you know, I suggest that students connect with their school community, their friends or classmates or teachers and others. 
And don't forget Dr. Aaron, Mr. Mercado, Mr. Kendrick, and Officer Smith and others. Uh, we also have the people in 12 plus, Mr. Romero from the mayor's office, Ms. Waller, our school nurse. And some people would say, we have Jimmy Palmer. We have Mr. Palmer. Uh, so... I, I feel the first line students should follow is their immediate resources because they can be very helpful in helping uh, with outside resources. And the question about which ones, there are so many resources in Philadelphia. I'm not going to begin to even try to uh, name them. The list is too long and I would probably forget all the most important ones. But I will ask students to pay attention to the slides they're seeing in advisory because the slides in advisory are programs that our school knows about and in most cases is used and we know they're good and they do what they say they're going to do. Um, I think the first, uh, the first step really is to go see one of the counselors uh, or one of the administrators and explain what your situation is and together decide whether or not that's actually what you need. And if so, because of the knowledge we have and the access to resources we have, we can do a pretty good job, I think, of matching people up with something that's actually going to be beneficial. What we don't want people to do is, you know, they hear about something and you think, oh, yeah, oh, that's great. Strikes a chord and, you know, they run out to it. Uh, but it's not what they think it's going to be, uh, or it's not very good, or they have a waiting list and they can see you next year. Uh, because what that often does is it communicates to the person, don't even bother trying. These people out here, they don't know what they're doing. And it's just, you know, that's not a good match. If you have a good match, it's going to work for you. So you maximize your potential of getting the help that you need by talking to people that can help you make a good match. So that would be my suggestion about resources. I think that's, a, that's an excellent suggestion. I'd, you're right. I'd, it's always good to go to the person that is knowledgeable about the direction that you want to go or, or with what you need. And as counselors, you guys do have the keys to so many outside organizations and people and just places that people can go for any type of situation. And, and I, it is always good to turn to your, to your counselor to say, I need help with this. Can you point me in that direction? Now, it's in, in most cases, you're right. If you turn to the wrong person, it's like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. Well, some people go this way and others go that way. Most of the time we go... And, and you still find yourself right at that crossroad of, uh, on the yellow brick road, not knowing what direction to take, but at least in communicating with a counselor, the first thing they can say is, well, here's a list of resources that I know that are reputable. And I think that's, I, I think that's important for people. Also too, you brought up our administration. We are blessed with a, a great administration. They are not programmed administrators. They are human beings helping human beings. They see our stress. They see how they, they, they see our, our, our body language and they are always there to be an asset for us where as Dr. Aaron can pause the meeting and say, wait a second, I just want to know how everybody's feeling. And it's always good that to walk into a meeting knowing that every single voice in that room is just as important. And when you feel that your voice is important to someone, it's easy to open up to them. And I think that's that's how the counselors here at the school feel, but it's an, and our administration for the teachers and having that as a teacher definitely is, is huge, I feel. Well, people don't think of this, I think, because, uh, you know, it's not <clears throat> in their daily lives uh, in so many cases. But we have right in our school two great resources for all sorts of things. And one is a school district of Philadelphia that has all sorts of services that people don't know about that are excellent services. 
We also have the mayor's office through uh, Mr. Romero and all the resources from the city that could be available. So in terms of uh, hooking people up with uh, good resources. We are fortunate. We have a lot of good resources. We know they're good. We use them. We can help most students and families with them. I agree. And a personal shout out to Mr. Romero, who's actually helping to improve the uh, broadcasting of the uh, podcast. He's uh, uh, has helped me out personally. So uh, huge shout out to him as well. There is a line from a famous song, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. We're living in a powder keg and giving off spark. In the past week, Philadelphia and the rest of the country have experienced many traumas. And one more that is looming this week. With the events of the past week, so many students and families are enraged, hurt, or even upset. The confining of the pandemic has created a volatile life for many. Um, what advice can you give to students feeling this way? What can you tell the families about talking to their kids about the violence and the killing of a disabled black person or the changing of the guard possibly in the, in the White House? Yeah, this really is such a difficult and confusing time for most of us. And I'm glad that you uh, put all those three things together, the pandemic and virtual school, poor Mr. Wallace last week and the confusion of the election this week. And now I'm going to sound like a counselor again. You know, loss is part of the human condition. None of us go through life without loss, whether that be I got in a car accident, I lost my hand to I lost my uh, my brother, right? You know, he went off to Iraq and he, he didn't come home. To losing your job, to getting divorced. I mean, the list of things that people feel lost from is a very, very long list. I do believe it's not just a human condition. I think there's a lot of animals who uh, experience the same thing. Boy, uh, some of the stories you read about uh, elephants when they lose their baby elephant uh, and the entire herd of elephants, you know, goes into grieving and, uh, you know, like chimpanzees and dogs. I mean, boy, a uh, dog loses somebody and that dog is not the same for a long time. So I it's not just humans, but we're humans, so we look at it from that standpoint. Whenever anything significant happens to us that represents loss, whether it's a loss of freedom, uh, like we certainly have lost in the pandemic, we can't go out like we did. We feel uh, concerned about loss for our health. Uh, we don't have the contact we had. We don't have the mobility we had. Or the loss of someone we care about. You know, I think of Michael Wallace, and while I don't know him, I think so many of us have developed feelings for him because of what we've learned about him. I mean, that that, that represents loss for a lot of people, I think. And like your team loses. When the Eagles lose, I feel loss. But more importantly, uh, for a lot of people, when there are people who are running for office lose, they feel loss. So there's a natural grieving process. And we all go through this to one level or another when we lose something that's important to us. The grieving process really starts usually with uh, shock and disbelief. Oh, no, this can't be. I don't believe it happened. It can't be. Uh, you know, that includes denial. Once you can't deny it any longer, because it's really clear that, yeah, that's gone, whatever it is, whether it be a person or a job or something else. You know, often it turns into anger. It turns into guilt sometimes, like you did something to make this happen. And frustration. And finally, after you work through most of those feelings, it you know can be extreme sadness. And finally, uh, when you have been sad long enough, uh, you come to accept it and you move on. So 
These are all, when you lose something, these are normal feelings. The length of time that you typically have to go through the loss depends upon what it is you lost, how big of a loss it was, how many people are around for you to talk with and, and help you and to, to share in the process, and also who you are inside. Some people just uh, process loss at a different speed than other people. So with that in mind, uh, some of the strategies that are typically used really have to do with talking about it. You know, we'll have a student that comes in who, uh, you know, lost a grandparent or something, and they find it really therapeutic to remember all the good times they had with the person. When you go into a group who's dealing with loss, people are always talking about the actual things that happened and what it is that they miss. And that's all that's all good stuff, even if it's painful. And sometimes, you know, sharing these feelings with people is painful, but it's really a good pain because you're honoring whatever it is you lost by talking about it. So that's good. But also by talking about it, it helps you to help process those feelings and emotions you're dealing with. So in uh, the case now, these three things happening, you know, talking about what has happened and expressing how that makes you feel, that's a big process, a big part of the process of dealing with it. And some of these things aren't losses that are permanent. They're like temporary losses. We're not going to be in a pandemic together. Uh, we're not going to be in virtual school forever. Regardless of what's happening with the election, uh, that's not going to go on forever. Our country will go on. The more we talk about this stuff in a constructive manner, uh, the quicker we process it and we will feel better faster. So that's, uh, you know, that that is a theme, as Frank pointed out a little bit earlier, uh, that is a theme. You need to talk about this stuff. So, you know, and I think about families, just the same kind of things we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, families, they need to take care of themselves. Parents need to take care of their kids. And the kids need to take care of their parents. I mean, you all are in your family together. You guys need to listen to each other. Uh, you need to make sure that you're doing the things that are going to allow you to be healthy because medical research is first to jump in there and say, if you're not taking care of yourself physically, you're not going to be able to be taking care of yourself or anybody else uh, emotionally as well. And here's uh, another thing. You have to be patient and you have to be easy on yourself because a lot of these things that are happening, they just take time. And also, you didn't make them happen. So don't take on uh, the blame for it. You had nothing to do with the pandemic, and you didn't really have anything to do with the other things. There's only so much you could do for the moment. What you can do is you can talk about what you can do going forward to help create an environment and all of us contribute to that where some of these things aren't going to happen. So I think especially about Michael Wallace, nobody that's listening to this, I can't imagine was involved in it. So it's not like you should be blaming yourself. But what we can do is we can use that. We can use that and the stress caused by it uh, to work toward change that helps bring us all together more as people so that these things don't happen. It's going to take a long time. Again, you have to be patient. But if everybody keeps working on it, 
things will get better. I've been around a long time and I uh, I can tell you stories about what it was like in the 50s and early 60s when our country was almost in a state of being apartheid. Uh, we certainly had segregation and it was legal. Uh, you know, I'm not saying things are the way they should be, but things are better than they were then. Uh, but we have to keep working at it. I hope every generation going forward continues to work at it. And some of the things we're dealing with will be going away. Love that to be in my lifetime. That's some great advice. I think it's important. You're right. Communication, uh, people being people, being patient, understanding. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a big key to getting through all this. One of the main things about our podcast is we try to make you the eye and tiger. So finally, my one constant question, who is Bob Nelson? How do you want people to describe you? Well, I would hope they would describe me as a nice guy who was a good uh, family person and loved what he did for work. And I do love coming to work every day. I love working uh, at Kensington Health Sciences and someone who worked hard to make a difference in uh, the lives of all those people that uh, he had contact with. That's great. And I hope this interview definitely provides some of that to put you in contact with as many people as possible. You had shared some great advice with us. I want to thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for taking time out to talk to me. It was a pleasure and I enjoyed the conversation. Thank, thank you, you so much. This has been Pause, Stop and Think. Thanks for being part of our podcast, and we hope you found some good advice here today. Remember, be good to one another, stay calm, be patient.